You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro-Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end-of-game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. And that quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Monday right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What a weekend in sports. It is Monday. We are back. Huge weekend of football. A lot of baseball news as well. Some of it involving the Red Sox and, unfortunately, some of it involving the New York Yankees. So we'll get into all of that. Jacob Crane from the J-Boys show is going to be with us. A guy we've never had on before, but uh, I've heard very good things. So the hopes are high for him, 545. He'll be with us. Bruce Bruce Arians is taking shots at New England here unprovoked. I mean, what the hell is that guy doing? Dude, you're going to the NFC title game. Focus on that. Try to get your first Super Bowl as a head coach. Don't be taking shots at New England. Because kiss the rings. That's what I would say to you, Bruce Arians. And, hey, Josh McDaniels might be on his way out of town. Would that be a a good thing, a bad thing, or kind of no deal? We'll talk about all of it. So, guys, if you want to get in, you can. 802-585-3026. Joe in Burlington, Phil in Middlesex, Travis up in Essex, and Dane in Rochester all got in over the weekend. So appreciate all of you. Phil says, Brady, you're the Secretariat of Sports Shows. Keep up the great work. I don't know what that means. I mean, I think that means good because Secretariat was a Triple Crown winner. So, Phil, I appreciate you listening and, and writing in as well. So, again, 585-3026 if you want to get on in. Guys, let's get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. All right, my opening thoughts brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online at sticksandstuff.com. Okay, we, we the media and we the fans need to stop having the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick debate. I please, I am begging all of you to stop asking the question. I am begging my media brethren, my sports radio brethren, to stop having the debate. I, it, they need each other, and can, they needed each other. Can we please recognize that? I, I want to get two things out there now before I start talking about this fully. I would agree. The quarterback is more important than the coach. If you said you can have this coach or this player for a decade, I would take the quarterback. Okay, I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes. I'd rather have Russell Wilson. I would have rather had Tom Brady than Bill Belichick. That is true. Let's also get this out here in the open. Let's not act like coaching doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers is being elevated by Matt LaFleur. 
Okay, Even at an older age, Aaron Rodgers is playing better. Why? Better coaching than he was getting with Mike McCarthy. Josh Allen, we think, is being elevated by Brian Dable at the offensive coordinator position. The Bills are making Josh Allen better because of better moves in the front office to bring in better players and better coaching. Okay, Maybe Russell Wilson is being held back by Pete Carroll's philosophy. Coaching matters. It either elevates you or it brings you down. Matt Ryan's not as good in Atlanta without Kyle Shanahan. Both those things can be true. The quarterback is more important than the coach, and the coach still matters. But let's stop, please, trying to analyze this and stop saying, see, see, Brady didn't need Belichick to be good. Colin Cowherd from Fox Sports Radio is my guy. He is my media icon. He is the guy, if you could tell me, Brady, you're going to be like one guy in this business, Colin would be the guy. And even he is doing this junk that I want everybody to stop. Like last year, there was a lot of leaks, magazine articles written about the Patriots and Brady and a lot of these New England coaches anonymously leaking, hey, we could have won these games with a lot of quarterbacks. Like, like who? Talent matters. Coaches have limitations. Greg Popovich, Bill Belichick, Duncan got old, Brady left. It's funny. They're not relevant anymore. Maybe this year Tom Brady proved he could do it without Belichick. Yeah, I, Yes, at this point, after 20 years of Belichick, he proved he was able to do it on his own. That's fine. But for the entirety of Brady's career, he absolutely needed Belichick, and you will not be able to convince me otherwise. Belichick's relentless commitment to excellence was built for Brady. Brady wouldn't do well being unbuttoned and being unpolished and being loose for his entire career. Maybe after 20 years, Brady's capable of adjusting on the fly, but if Brady came in to a system or a situation like Bruce Arians, he never would have become what he has become. Brady is detail-oriented. He is meticulous. He is um, hungry, and, it, and the attention to detail matters, and perfect habits matter to him, and discipline matters to him. Oh, who, who else does all that matter to? Oh, it all matters to Bill Belichick. Their personalities and their work ethic and their styles were built for each other, and Belichick couldn't have done what he did without Brady being willing to act that way also. Brady has thrived on the kind of detail-oriented structure that Belichick has provided, or Belichick provided to him. He benefited from that greatly because it jived with who Brady is at his core. This isn't Brady at his core. Brady at his core is disciplined, button-up, attention to detail. That's who Tom Brady is. And because Bill Belichick is that way also, it was perfect. They could push each other. They could um, motivate each other. They thought the same way. All we hear about in sports, we got to get everybody on the same page. Deshaun Watson and the Texans, they're not on the same page. Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll right now, they're not on the same page. Everybody's got to be on the same page. Brady and Belichick were on the same page for nearly the entirety of 20 years because they think and act the same way. And they look at everything through the exact same lens. And they hold themselves accountable. And they hold themselves to a high standard. They never would have gotten where they were 
without each other. There is no doubt in my mind. So stop trying to ask who is more valuable. Okay, Without the other, they both would have ended up dissatisfied. Belichick's personality, Belichick's meticulous nature would have graded on other quarterbacks far quicker than it graded on Brady. Brady lasted 20 years, and he got tired of it at the very end. Belichick would grate on another quarterback far earlier than 20 years. And Brady, so if Brady was out, you know, you know, let's just say, you know, Brady just wouldn't have been as meticulous. He wouldn't have been as detail-oriented if he didn't have Belichick. They pushed each other. They held each other accountable. And that is who they were. And, the heck, there might have been a healthy rivalry between the two. Unspoken, but a rivalry between the two as to who's going to work hard. And they were always willing to battle with each other for that title. They needed each other. Okay? Only, and by the way, when Colin says, you know, oh, the, oh all the leaks in New England, you know what? I think they were true. Eventually, yes, Brady got tired of Belichick. Yes. And I think eventually, I heard Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston say this recently. After the 2017 season, I think it was, Brady did Tom versus time, and Brady started wanting Alex Guerrero around more. Brady started feeling himself a little bit, and that rubbed Belichick the wrong way. But that's like year 18 of 20. I mean, with most other quarterbacks, that stuff is out there much earlier. The two sides needed each other. Another quarterback would have flexed that muscle long ago, and Belichick and that quarterback would have been at odds. I mean, it would have ended much earlier. They needed each other. There is no doubt in my mind they were better for having been around each other because their attitudes were perfect complements to each other. They, they were always on the same page. They saw things the exact same way. And why nobody can see that in the media or among fans, I'm just confused by. You don't always have to say that this guy or that guy won the divorce. They can go their separate ways. They can both potentially be successful. Brady's going to be more successful immediately. Belichick may be more successful ultimately. He may be good. Belichick may coach for five more years, and the Patriots may be good. I don't think they're on that track right now, but it's very possible that they're good again in two to three years. It's very possible they can both end up winning. Stop trying to immediately declare the winner. Not every quarterback could put up with Belichick. Not every quarterback would pass down Belichick's message in the way that Brady did. And because Brady was the same as Belichick, he could act that way and demand it from his teammates and get those guys to buy in. Look at the Patriots leaders, Matthew Slater, Devin McCourty, and for a long time, Tom Brady. They're all wired the same way. They can all work like Belichick and take Belichick's message down the line. Stop trying to give you know divvy up the patriots credit pie for the last 20 years and give more to one side than the other they needed each other they're both great they're probably both great on their own we saw belichick get cleveland to the playoffs we've seen brady now get to the playoffs without they're both really darn good on their own they never would have gotten to their um respective goatness without the other it's the brady Farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdev radio com. We got Phil in Berlin who's getting in on Josh McDaniels. We'll get into Josh McDaniels later as well. I happen to agree with a lot of what Phil is saying, by the way. Uh, guys, give me the music a little bit. Let's um, 
let's do some uh, unpacking the weekend here. So, yeah, give me the music, guys. And uh, all right, here we go. Unpacking the weekend. Uh, number one. Number one. Let's start right there. The weekend in football, it kind of played out exactly how I thought it would in terms of results. I got all four games right for whatever that's worth, okay? We thought, we said, Green Bay would beat the Rams and that Jared Goff's injury was going to be too much to overcome, and it was. And we said that Goff was under a lot of pressure this weekend, and he is. Now, the reports are out from NFL Network that Jared Goff and Sean McVay need marriage counseling this offseason. McVay says every single position on the team is up for evaluation and nothing is guaranteed. So, Goff was playing for his job, and he didn't win. I don't think he's the reason that they lost. Their defense couldn't stop anybody. Aaron Rodgers moved up and down the field. Aaron Jones ran up and down the field. Jamal Williams ran up and down the field. So um, I thought Green Bay would win. I thought that Brady would beat Breeze. I predicted it in my Friday locks. I was right about that. He, now, he got some real help from the defense, but the game was still won by Brady's team. We had Kansas City winning. We had Buffalo winning as well. I thought Josh Allen would play better. I didn't know Mahomes would get hurt, but the games were the results were exactly as I thought. I thought Cleveland played well. What impressed, if you told me Cleveland was going to lose close, I would have said that it was close throughout. I did not think Cleveland was going to get down 19-3 and be able to come back. At that point, you started thinking it was going to end up 37-10, and it didn't. So I got to give Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns a lot of credit. They, they grew up a lot this season. There was a lot of toughness, mentally and physically, exhibited by the Cleveland Browns. Good for them. And, uh, it gets hard to be good year over year in the NFL, right? It's built for parity. The schedule next year for Cleveland will be different. This year, the Browns got to play the Jets. They got to play Washington. They got to play the NFC East, which was the worst division in football. And they beat the Giants, and they beat Dallas, and they beat Washington, and they beat Philadelphia, I believe, if I'm remembering off the top of my head. So they next year, the schedule will be harder. And they'll have to regrow and readjust and take another next step. But they've proven they can beat Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, they proved they could win must-win games. Baker Mayfield proved that he could be a grown-up. There's a lot to like out of Cleveland. I, if the one thing surprised me this weekend, it's that Cleveland played a close game where they had to come back. Again, I would have thought that if it was close, they get up 7 nothing. Kansas City comes back. And now they're just trading shots all game long, and it's kind of hovering. This game was over. Kansas City was on their way to a route, and Cleveland was able to hang tough and come back very, very, very impressive. All right, unpacking the weekend. Number two. The Red Sox. Red Sox got in on the free agent pool. They bring back Martin Perez, who we saw last year as well. Look, Perez was better last year than I think a lot of people realize. He had a 4.50 ERA over 12 starts, but he did, you know, he had a really bad start in there. I think he allowed two runs or less in seven of his 12 starts. Martin Perez actually outside of one real clunker, actually threw the ball pretty well for Boston. This is the kind of low-risk move I've been advocating for. Perez can eat up innings. He's not a prospect that you're worried about, um, you know, holding him back, you know, holding back his innings. He can throw 150, 180 innings for you as long as he's healthy. Eat up innings. Save the bullpen to a degree. Maybe he could be a trade piece this summer. It looks like it's a one-year deal with an option for a second year. So there's some value there if he's traded. So he eats up innings for you, helps the rotation get some stability. We don't know about Chris Sale. We don't know what's going to happen with Erod coming back from myocarditis. You've got Evaldi, who's always a question mark with his health. So he eats up innings. He gives stability. He takes some pressure 
off the bullpen. Maybe he's a trade piece. He doesn't cost a lot of money. He's going to be $5 million guarantee this year and $6 million on the option. So, And he doesn't block any prospect for you. I mean, this is a home run. I don't know that. Look, if he starts 30 games, I'm sure we are looking at a guy who goes 9-12, and 10-14. and 14. I don't think the Red Sox are a 500 team right now, and I don't think Martin Perez is a 500 pitcher. But, I mean, this is what I want. Just take flyers on guys. Low, low risk, high upside. If Martin Perez stinks, okay. You paid him six, six, you know, five million bucks this year. That, the Red Sox can afford five million dollars. That's not a huge deal to them. It becomes extra important to them, given that they, um, lost out on Corey Kluber over the weekend. A guy, another guy who we've been clamoring for. Not only did the Sox lose him, one year, eleven million dollars was the deal. They lose him to the Yankees, and I don't know what Kluber's going to be. Kluber hasn't pitched in really two years. Before that, he was great, right? He's a Cy Young, two-time Cy Young winner. He's still he's 34 years old. He, he's got something in the tank if he's healthy. I don't know what that is. Another guy would have been perfectly good with the Red Sox going after, a guy we advocated them to go after. But he goes to the Yankees, and he's either going to be a complete ace in the hole for them that forms a 1-2 with Garrett Cole, or... He's going to be Corey Kluber, who doesn't pitch. I don't know. But the Yankees need a rotation upgrade, too. They, they, James Paxson's a free agent. Um, Masahiro Tanaka, I, I read a report today, says he might go back to Japan. So the Yankees, for a team that's a World Series contender, they need to upgrade their rotation. They need the good version of Kluber. The Red Sox didn't need the good version of Kluber. The Yankees need him to be the good Corey Kluber again. So, um, you know, the Red Sox are still in on Jake Odorizzi. Matt Moore, Garrett Richards, a lot of other guys like Martin Perez. Odorizzi's better than Perez at this point. So we'll see what happens. But the Red Sox did get in on the action, and, uh, you know, they got more things to do. Alex Cora said, I don't think we're done up until April 1st, which is opening day. So um, spring training, though, less than a month from now, it's unbelievable. I, I'm ready for baseball. I love football. I love talking football. I love Super Bowl time. I've been to the Super Bowl four years out of the last five. You know, going to Radio Road. There is no Radio Road this year, so I won't be going down. But I love this time of the year. But man, baseball coming in, I am, uh, I'm ready for it. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, coming up next, Drew Brees may have played his last game in the NFL. Could Cam Newton be his replacement upcoming in New Orleans? That's an interesting thought. I've heard, you know, rumblings of Cam to New Orleans prior to the you know thought that Breeze would retire, but can Cam replace Breeze in New Orleans? We'll go down south. Jacob Crane of the J Boy Show is going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Busy weekend in the NFL behind us. So much to get to here with our next guest. His name is Jake Crane. You can find him as the host of the J-Boys Show on the Believe Podcast Network. He's a uh, really an all-encompassing sports expert, <laughs> but with a, a big focus on the SEC. So we got some stuff in that lane for him as well. So, Jake, man, thanks for being with us. How are you? Hey, Brady, man, I'm, I'm psyched to be here. You guys do a great job. Love keeping up with the show. Uh, I know your audience loves it. And uh, uh, got up juice this morning to talk some ball with my boy, Brady Farkas. Let's get after it. 
Well, I appreciate you being with me. Um, since you are an SEC expert, let me ask my obligatory Patriots quarterback question. Yeah. Patriots number 15 pick in the draft. I've taken everybody's opinion on Mac Jones. Should the Pats be interested at number 15? Well, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I was born in Auburn, so, you know, the Camden <laughs> situation there. Uh, now, here's my thing on Mac, and I, I think his what people think his biggest weaknesses may be his biggest strength. And what I mean by that is he is surrounded by unbelievable talent. We all know that. We understand that. But the way he's been able to handle, and, and they're not a ton of crazy personalities, but we all know how receivers and running backs are. The way he's been able to spread the ball around to guys like Jalen Waddle when he's healthy, Devontae Smith, Billingsley, Michi, throwing the swing to Najee, and keeping those guys happy and keeping that offense consistent and rolling is something that I know GMs and people that are looking, uh, if you're coming into a place, and I know right now, you know, there's not a ton of great wide receivers running around the, you know, the Patriots facility and, and stuff like that. But uh, he's not a guy that's going to be afraid to be surrounded by superstars. He understands how to feed them. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's really athletic in the pocket. The way he's able to shuffle his feet, keep the play alive, because he's not going to scramble for 60, 70 yards a game, but he'll be able to move and keep his eyes downfield, and he's not afraid to throw the check down. So you're going to get a guy that's pretty polished, that understands pocket awareness, that's able to check protections, check different runs. He understands zone scheme. He understands gap scheme. And he sat in a room with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts and all these big-time guys, and he worked his way through it. So he's not afraid of competition, and he's not afraid to be the guy. And, uh, you know, do I think he's the best player in the draft? No. But if you need a quarterback that's going to give you a chance, I do think Mac's going to do more than hold a clipboard. You know, you talk about being from Auburn. So why is Jared Stidham not working in New England? He should have won this job, and then he should have been able to overtake Cam at some point, given how Cam was playing. When he came out, did you think he would be somebody that worked? Well, you know, I watch I watch him and the way he's able to throw the ball, Brady, and the things – you know, that that he's able to do, uh, especially to the field. That's what stood out to me the most about Jared Stidham. It wasn't the the slants uh, when Auburn ran him once every blue moon. <laughs> it was his ability to throw the sail to the field, to throw the deep ball, to throw the deep out, to understand where to put the back shoulder. And I thought that was something that in the NFL was going to help him not only get a chance but maintain uh, but the biggest knock on him, and, and this is something I'm going to be honest with you, Brady, that a lot of Auburn quarterbacks have struggled with, including Bo Nix under the Gus Malzahn regime, was he had a tendency to look at the rush and take his eyes away from downfield hmm. and either try to escape early or work to the wrong side of the field. And it caused him to make bad decisions, and it caused him to take sacks and not be able to throw the ball away. But I thought maybe going to the NFL and being in that system and, and being in a field house like that would get that out of, him, uh, out of him a little bit, especially running that offense that they've had there with McDaniels. Uh, but, man, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I, I think it may be kind of some of the same stuff. I don't know if they trust him uh, when, a, when a linebacker breaks free or somebody blows a protection not to just throw the ball away instead of throwing it right to a linebacker or getting a sack and, and fumbling the ball. So uh, I would have to think it's that. Drew Brees looks like he's going to retire. Jameis Winston is a free agent. What would you think about Cam as a potential fit for the Saints? Because I have seen him linked to New Orleans at various times throughout this offseason for the Pats. Uh, I mean, I, 
You know, I think Cam would do great in New Orleans, uh, you know, kind of getting, you know, back down to, to where he was and, and, you know, a little bit deeper in the South, kind of into his roots. But I think what they could do, what Sean Payton could do for him, because I think Sean Payton does a really good job of, of coaching to his personnel, even in the NFL, where you obviously have your system, you have your identity, and you're able to sign free agents. You don't have to recruit guys and develop them for three years. You can just go get them already developed. But he understands that it is a moving target, that my offense always has to evolve. It's like a pitcher. You have to develop a new pitch every couple of years to keep people off balance. Sean Payton does a great job of that. Uh, obviously, the injuries curtailed them this year. They tend to always have success. They've won Super Bowls. And I think what what Cam Newton gives a guy like Sean Payton is another answer in the red zone because you can't account for the quarterback in the run game if you really use him right. That's how we got the birth of, you know, Power Reed and Q Power and Wildcat and all and all that stuff with the quarterback. But uh, I, I just I think it'd be a good fit. I think the weapons around him, you put Cam Newton with Alvin Kamara, the zone read gets weird again. You know, Jay Crane from the J-Boy Show and the Believe Podcast Network with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, I, I could see Cam, you know, location-wise playing in New Orleans or in Atlanta, two places that are mm-hmm. in the South. But as much as he's bitter about Carolina, would he really go to Panthers rivals like that? I mean, uh, Cam's Cam's going to go where – where. Uh, he thinks he's going to be taken care of the most. I, I don't think he's too worried about upsetting anybody uh, in Carolina, especially with the way some of that, you know, stuff went down. And I think Ken Newton uses stuff like that. Uh, and again, you know, you got a guy that's that big, that that's, that's that talented, that's able to kind of not trick yourself, but use it as motivation. Uh, I would not be surprised in the least to see Cam Newton go somewhere directly across from the Panthers. I would be surprised if he set up shop right across the road, to be honest with you. What do people in the South think about Cam? Because in New England, our one-year experience is this dude is a great guy. He's easy to root for, but a lot of people are checked out on his ability as a quarterback. What's the level of, I don't know, is reverence the right word in the South? How is he viewed down there? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he went undefeated in college. What he did coming back, you know, down 24 to nothing against Alabama at their place is something that nobody really ever does. You know, you win a national championship. I guess it's where you're at. I mean, Alabama fans obviously hate him, but they respect him. They know how good he is. Uh, Auburn fans, you know, he's, he's the dude. He's, uh, the Poseidon of Auburn, like I said. Mm. And, and, uh, but, you know, around the SEC, there's that stigma of, you know, he got paid 180,000 to go to Auburn and, you know, got in trouble at Florida. And, and some people will never let that go. And look, you know, do people get paid in recruiting? Yeah, let's not let's not play games. But they never proved anything. And the NCAA never charged Auburn with anything. So uh, and it's kind of, you know, the pot calling the kettle black uh, in the SEC when people start accusing each other of cheating. So, again, he's revered. He did things in the SEC that that's very rare um, that only a couple guys have done. But, you know, uh, the passing game was always an issue. Uh, him being able to go through progressions was always an issue. And I think it's something where you get to the NFL and, and you're able to go so far being big and athletic and doing stuff like that. But he's still got to take his, his self mentally, uh, reading defenses and coverages to the next level and, and being safer with the ball. As somebody who's down south, what is it like for you now to have the Tom Brady experience quasi in your backyard? What is that like for Southern football fans? Well, you know, it's uh, it's the same thing we were watching when he was up there. Uh, if the field's 100 yards long and 53 and a third yard, uh, 53 and a third yard wide, and the game matters, Tom Brady's going to win it. And uh, just watching him, and and I had Dave Tollison uh, on all the time, former Giants defensive end, 
uh, won two Super Bowls. And he talked about the two quarterbacks that were the hardest to play against were Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, but not for the reason you'd think. Uh, the reason is because they throw the check down all the way down the field and didn't care. They throw it to get five to six yards and go 15 plays to score a touchdown. Most quarterbacks and OCs can't throw the check down twice on a drive without closing their eyes and throwing it deep because deep down yeah. they're all greedy. And that's how it is, and, and that's what makes them great. But the ones that don't do that, they can say, you know what, I'll throw the hitch. You're going to give me the slant. You're going to give me the check down. I'll throw the swing, and we'll get seven and get in second and three and just run ISO the whole time and get first down. So uh, I think that's something that makes him dangerous. But, again, uh, his elite ability to anticipate, his ability to understand leverage, and his ability to, to be able to put the ball in places, not only from a short game, not only from an intermediate round, but even still with the long ball. Some of the throws he makes, the way he's able to drop it into the bucket, just continue to amaze me. And, and again, I, I think they're, you know, uh, they're a hot team right now. Jacob Crane hosted the J-Boy Show on the Believe Podcast Network. You can check him out by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, Jacob, hey, we appreciate this. We will definitely have to do it again sometime and uh, look forward to our, our next talk in the future. No doubt, Brady. I really appreciate it, man. Keep killing it. Y'all are doing a great job. Uh, hope everybody stays safe out there. And check us out. Uh, a little Southern flavor, but it's all ball, baby. It's all ball. Well, I appreciate you, Jacob. Thanks for joining us, man. So plenty to get to in our takeaways with Jacob Crane. But first, after the CBS News update, Bruce Arians throwing shade at the Patriots. He shouldn't be. That's coming up next. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Jacob Crane from the J-Boys Show. You can check him out on the Believe Podcast Network for being with us. If you miss any of it, you can find it in the full show podcast, which is brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. If you want to get in, you can, 802-585-3026. We'll be getting to our uh, Jacob Crane takeaways here in a couple of minutes. An unnamed texter actually called in and left a voicemail. So, uh, hey, for for the future... Um, 802-585-3026. You can call that number, but it is much easier if you text. And if you text, we're just going to base, if you, if you leave a voicemail, we're pretty much just going to listen to the voicemail and then talk about it. We won't be taking that call on air because without getting too inside baseball, the studio has a specific phone number, but the way we're all set up here for the text line, it has a different number. So, the, the text line is really just for texting, uh, but the uh, unnamed texter does say, Brady, nothing could be done for Brady or Belichick without Robert Kraft's paycheck. So, yes, we understand. Robert Kraft, very important to the Patriots dynasty, too, because of the continuity and, yes, the financial capital that he provided to both player and coach. But it still doesn't change the fact that they needed each other to be successful when it came to the pure football aspect of it. So, Texter, uh, getting in there with, with his thoughts. So, 802-585-3026. So, um, Bruce Arians is taking shots at the Patriots now and really doesn't need to be. Bruce Arians, he of no Super Bowl titles, is taking shots at the Patriots and he doesn't really need to be. So, he was, Bruce Arians was speaking with Peter King of, of, um, you know, Good Morning Football. And 
or Football Morning in America, or whatever the hell Peter King is writing for these days. And he was talking about Tom Brady. He says, Brady's got the air of confidence that permeates through our team every day. I allow him to be himself. Like New England didn't allow him to coach. I allow him to coach. I just sit back sometimes and watch. First off, this is just simply a dumb thing to say by Bruce Arians. But this is Bruce Arians, though. It's it's just a classic gunslinger shoot-from-the-hip moment. Like, think about what Arians has done here. Bruce Arians decides to pump himself up at a time where the focus should be on the team. The team has won their first playoff game since... They've gotten to the playoffs the first time since 2008, and it's their first playoff win in like 15 years. The focus should be on the Buccaneers, should be on the players, should be on that defense that probably ended Drew Brees' career. Should be on Tom Brady, the player. But instead, Bruce Arians decides on the eve of the NFC Championship game now to talk about himself and how great he is. I mean... Like In an effort to prop himself up, all he has done is create a distraction for his team and for his quarterback. There's a whole lot of New England media that follows the Bucks, And now with the Patriots not playing, they're really all in on the Bucks. I mean, I see Zach Cox of Nesson and Doug Kide of Nesson and Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. And, I mean, Patriots outlets are writing stories about the Bucks. They're tuned in. So... You better believe that when Brady has his first Zoom availability of the week, they are going to be tapped in and asking him about this. Brady should be trying to get to his 10th Super Bowl and trying to win his 7th, something that, you know, as in a lot of things that Brady has done, you, you know, has never been done before. The focus should be on that. It is now going to be in part on Bruce Arians' comments about Tom Brady's ex. I mean, it's completely just an unnecessary comment to make. He could have easily told Peter King about how great Brady was. He could have praised his quarterback, talked about the level of professionalism that he brought or the level of accountability that he brought. But, no, he had to go and make it about himself and make it a distraction. I mean, it's a little bit of, you know, you love what Arians brings to the table and that he is fun and he is loose and when Tom did eventually tire of Belichick, it was a welcome relief. That is good. But what makes Arians great can also be his biggest detriment. A little too loose. A little too loose-lipped. You know, It's like the guy who's had one too many cocktails at the bar who tells you just a little bit too much. Bruce Arians should have kept that one in his pocket. I mean, text line, how do you feel about what Bruce Arians said? He says, New England didn't allow him to coach. I allow him to coach. Um, we get a couple of texts coming in, 802-585-3026. Uh, a couple of texts here on the Red Sox from the last segment. I'll get to them, I promise you, at the end of uh, this segment as well because I want to stay on topic here with the Bucks and Bruce Arians. But if you want to get in, remember, hey, when you text in, leave your name and your location because that way we can you know, give you guys some credit and we can kind of create that community environment. So when uh, – now – you don't have to apologize. I love the Red Sox talk. We'll just get to it when we're done here um, in about 15 minutes. So eh, maybe maybe 10 minutes before the uh, takeaways. Um, by the way, Arian's comments saying he let Brady coach and the Pats didn't. 
That's just not true. Listen to this. This is amazing. The Internet is an amazing place. So there's video evidence back in 2009. The Patriots are getting ready for the Ravens. And Tom Brady is talking one-on-one in a meeting with Bill Belichick about how to stop Ed Reed, about how can they handle Ed Reed in that Ravens defense. Listen to Belichick and Brady talking back in 2009. You could put, you know, Julian on the inside because Ed's going to be driving. Yeah. You know, and then when you break back out high to the flag, if that corner starts running high for the backside post, then you can throw the flag too. Oh, oh, you're saying let Ed dive on it and then bring him back out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let Ed take it, and then when Ed takes it, then, he, then the Z whips it back to the... Right, 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 I got you. To the flag. I got you. And then Ed's kind of in no man's land. Then right. you have everything. Right. And then Randy's in a tight split, and then you can run him back on a cross across the field if it's like one cover. Right. You know, maybe you have two plays like that in the plan mm-hmm. that take advantage of, you know, figuring out what they're running. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, you should have two takeaways from that. That's 40 seconds there of pure gold. Your first takeaway should be, wow, high-level football talk sounds like a foreign language. You don't have to understand one word of what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were just talking about to understand that that is Tom Brady coaching, which apparently Bruce Arians thinks Brady wasn't allowed to do in New England. Okay, That's Brady in a room, one-on-one with Belichick. And Brady is the guy coaching Belichick up, and Belichick is agreeing with it. The very end of that. I mean, guys, can we get like the last five seconds of that potentially? Advantage of, you know, figuring out what they're running. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good idea, Belichick says. Brady is teaching Belichick about handle a Hall of Fame safety. At the time, one of the game's best overall players, and certainly one of the game's best secondary players. I mean, so that's one game. That's one meeting. Think about how many other times in the course of 20 years something like that happened. Probably every single week from about 2004 on. Okay, Brady was carried by the defense and was so young and into it, he probably was yes sir, no sir for the first few years of his career. And he was carried by the defense. Once we hit about 05, Brady pretty much on, you know, in full command of that organization as far as what's happening you know, on a game-to-game basis. He probably had 9 million conversations just like that behind the scenes with Josh McDaniels and Charlie Weiss and Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick. So for Bruce Arians to say that, oh, hey, I'm great. I let Brady coach out there. BS. I just, you just heard 40 seconds of, Bel- of Brady schooling Belichick on, on coaching, on technique. And I was texting Doug Flutie earlier today, you know, name drop and all that. But um, I was texting Flutie, and he played with Brady for a year in 05. He said Tom Brady was in constant communication with his offense and with his wide receivers. And Flutie said, I consider that to be coaching. I mean, I think about how many times I saw Brady go under center, get ready to take the snap, and instantly Pull back, look left, look right, put his hands to his helmet, and call an audible. I think that's coaching. When Brady recognizes something, or maybe in conjunction with McDaniels recognizes something together and kills a play or gets out of a play. I mean, I've asked a lot of quarterbacks how many, 
like what percentage of plays are audible. Some of them are like 25% of plays are audible. You know, they're changed at the line of scrimmage in some way. Maybe it's just a small schematic thing with the blocking, direction, all that, but something has changed on like a quarter of your play calls. Brady's doing a lot of that. So don't tell me that, you know, Bruce Arians, that you're great because you let Brady coach. Brady clearly was given the leeway to audible plays, to change plays at the line of scrimmage, to have input on game plan because you just heard it there. Now, I do believe, I do believe that there, there's probably some truth to the idea that New England was more restrictive than, than Tampa. I, I, of course I can buy that. New England button up meticulous. New England probably more restrictive, more regimented. That I can believe. But, I mean, is, is Bruce Arians letting Tom Brady make the game plan? I don't think so. Based on what we saw earlier in the year, you know, it was fully Bruce Arians' offense. It was Tom get back there and sling it 30 yards down the field. And you know what? It didn't look real comfortable doing that. So Brady clearly wasn't getting, you know, coaching input into the game plans because it was, hey, let's just drop back and slang that baby. So Bruce Arians, you, you've made not only have you made a mistake, you have set your quarterback up for a distraction heading into the NFC title game, and that is a problem for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like They're going to go on the road to face Aaron Rodgers and the number one offense in the NFL and maybe the best receiver in the NFL in Devontae Adams and maybe the best young coach in the NFL in, in Matt LaFleur. And it's going to be 24 degrees. And it might be snowing and it might be windy. Your team's going on the road to to go up against all of that. And your quarterback is going to be answering questions about his ex. Why? Because of you. And you're not even right. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We get a message in from Travis up in Essex. He goes, Brady, this is Bruce Arians. Does that surprise you? It's like saying uh, Tyreek Hill made a gesture after a catch. doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me either, but... It shouldn't be that loose-lipped at this juncture. I mean, look, and, and Bruce Arians is always honest. As a media member, I respect him. He just gave us 12 minutes of content. I appreciate people who say what they mean and say what they believe because it gives us all something to talk about. But if I were a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or if I'm if I'm Tom Brady, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? We got bigger things to focus on. And that Boston media, they got nothing to talk about right now. They're not playing up here in Foxborough. So they're all tuned in on Tampa. And they are coming with those questions at the first media availability of the week. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. If you want to get in, 802-585-3026. I'll take a couple of your texts right now um, before I get to the takeaways from our Jacob Crane interview. Um, okay. Do you really think the Sox are below 500 this season? Comes from an unnamed texter. I am glad they signed Martin Perez. Yes, I do think the Red Sox are under 500 right now. The, the Red Sox are not a good baseball team at this point. They, the Yankees are better. Yankees have pitching issues, but the Yankees will win games 11-8 if they need to. Their bullpen is phenomenal, and their offense is great as well. The Yankees are better. Tampa's still better. Now, they've lost Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. So they are hampered as well, but with that bullpen and that farm system, they've got the number one prospect in baseball. Their offense can hit a lot of home runs. Tampa, also better than Boston. And Toronto's better than Boston. I mean, I don't know when Chris Sale 
is coming back. I read a story today from Buster Olney of ESPN. We'll probably dig in a little more on it tomorrow. Red Sox are really going to slow play sale coming back. Erod's coming back from COVID, a season in which he missed the entire season. The Red Sox have no bullpen. The only thing that they have is offense, and um, they're not going to be able to win 11-8 games. They're not. The Red Sox are going to lose 11-8 games more often than they win them. They're better than Baltimore. I think the Red Sox right now are a 74-win team. I mean, maybe 74 and 90, 74 and 88. Yeah, that sounds. If we play a full 162, that sounds about right. And I could easily see the Red Sox trading off pieces as you get towards the trade deadline and being worse in the second half of the season. I, yes, I do not think the Red Sox are a good baseball team. Another unnamed texter. Do I think we'll see college baseball this season at the Division Three level? My son plays in the Liberty League. Liberty League is a very good league based in New York. Uh, you know, RIT and Skidmore and uh, RPI. I actually coached RPI for a little while. So do I think we'll see Division Three baseball in the Liberty League? Mm, my gut tells me no. My gut tells me no. I, um, you know what? Let me amend that. I think you can see a conference only season. I think that's possible. You're not going to get where, you know, I used to go to Florida for games. You know, I played Division Three baseball too. We used to go to Florida. We used to go to South Carolina. You're not doing that. You're not traveling like that out of the state. So that's not going to happen. So that's going to knock out your spring trips. You're going to only be able to play games up north. Given where we are, you know, if we think about it locally here, Castleton, Middlebury, Linden, Johnson, you know, these schools that have baseball, um, St. Mike's even, the weather's going to force you to not be able to play until probably late March at the extremely earliest, probably middle of April. Norwich is in this boat too. You're not getting in 30 games, you know, in that time. So you're not playing non-conference games. I think you'll be lucky to play your league season and it would minimize travel. There might, you know, some the umpires and the coaches might have had a chance to be vaccinated by then. But you are the idea that you're going to practice with everybody for two months and put them in a gym from, you know, about February 1st till April 1st. That that's a lot of indoor contact here. I I got I got some people that I know in the Division three college baseball scene. I can ask them to kind of what their gut is. But uh, my gut tells me. You're not doing the traditional season. You're not playing the full 40 games that Division Three allows you to, and you are going to maybe get a conference season in. I, I would love to see it. You know, baseball is the most socially distanced of the sports. Softball also. You're outdoors. That should be better. The weather is freezing. If you can't go down south, it's awfully tough. You know, you play 10 games down south. If you're softball, you probably play more. You're going to lose all of that. So we will see. I'll be monitoring what the NESCAC does they have said they want to play in the spring. At my last check, the Northeast 10 just came out and said that they want to play in the uh, in their spring sports as well. So people are trying. Not sure 100% that's going to happen. It's a Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. We're just joined by Jacob Crane of the J-Boy Show, which you can find on the Believe Podcast Network. And he told a really interesting story. He spoke to... A, a, on his show, he spoke to a former player in the New York Giants, and that player said it was a defensive lineman, and he said, Tom Brady's the hardest player to ever play against that I've played against. And here's the reason why. 
Uh, the reason is because they throw the check down all the way down the field and didn't care. They throw it to get five to six yards and go 15 plays to score a touchdown. Most quarterbacks and OCs can't throw the check down twice on a drive without closing their eyes and throwing it deep because deep down they're all greedy. I thought that was really interesting. So the biggest thing about Brady that opponents are frustrated by is that he just takes what's there. He just gashes you down the field. And think about it. How many times did we see that in New England? Brady just dinks and dunks down the field, 14 plays, 82 yards, ends in a four-yard touchdown dump-off. We saw it a million times, right? But Jacob also says that this player told him, you know, deep down, quarterbacks and offensive coordinators are greedy, and that is why they won't do what Brady does, where Brady dinks and dunks down the field. And I started thinking about it while he's saying, I'm like, is that really it? Are quarterbacks and coordinators greedy? I mean, they're, they're, I'm sure deep down there's an element to it, right? A quarterback wants to compile stats or highlights, and they want to get money, and they want to get status. So that, you know, I'm sure it does matter a bit. And coordinators want to compile stats and rankings, and they want to become head coaches in a lot of cases. And that, that's probably a small part, but I really don't think it's that. At its core, I think, I think everybody just gets antsy. And I think the discipline that Brady has to take what's there and go down the field methodically and slowly. He doesn't have to, he doesn't do it as much in Tampa because they, again, Bruce Arians offense, they do want to get vertical. But in New England for 20 years, his discipline and his willingness to just take what's there I mean, that is second to none, and that is an unbelievable trait that Tom Brady had that I really didn't ever give him enough credit for. I think everybody in the NFL gets antsy when they play that way. And the reason why is because we all know in the NFL it's really hard. It's really hard to grind out 13 play drives consistently. We like, right? I'll go in as as a media member. We'll get keys to the game. Let's win time of possession. Let's hold the ball. Let's keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. We love the idea of talking about time of possession. And we love the idea of saying, hey, let's get a couple of 13-play drives in there. In reality, we all get antsy as fans when we start to see that happening. Because we just assume the more plays you run, the more likely you are to make a mistake. The interception, the fumble, the bad penalty, they are all, the, the more plays you run, those things are on the table. And we as fans get antsy about it. And I think coaches and quarterbacks get antsy about it also. They just, they, they just assume that they, t- if they take the shot and score early, they're going to avoid the big mistake. They don't, coaches and quarterbacks fear a seven or eight minute drive that results in nothing. They fear, I, I truly believe they fear that. It makes them very uncomfortable. Hey, we're moving the ball. We're getting on the field, but we've had it just a little too long. Let's, let's score now and let's, 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 let's make sure we get it. Let's not waste around. Let's just, let's make sure we get the points. I also think there's an element of overthinking in the NFL, right? I mean, and you, you heard Brady talk about it, right? When we just played that clip of Tom Brady talking with Bill Belichick, look at the high level vernacular that is happening in the NFL. Those are the conversations that are happening regularly. You can absolutely overthink 
what you're doing in the NFL. So at some point, I think people are getting antsy again, and they say, okay, we've, we've gone down the field methodically, we've gone 40 yards, and we've done you know, seven four-yard passes to do it, and a couple of five-yard runs. At some, I think people think, well, at some point they're going to take that away, right? At some point they're not going to let us do that. So coaches and quarterbacks and coordinators, they try to catch the other team napping. It's just this constant chess match is how many times can we do X until they take X away, and when they take X away, we're going to just hit them with Y. I mean, but Brady is so damn disciplined that he doesn't mind paper-cutting you to death if that's what it takes to win. And it's just amazing to think of a quarterback who is willing to play that way all the time. They want to take shots. We've been told you need to have an explosive offense. And if you're going to have an explosive offense, you better be able to get down the field quickly. And you want to have home run plays. And we're told that you can't sustain 13-play drive after 13-play drive. And you can't risk the turnover. You can't risk the field goal. Let's just let's just get the ball down the field and get moving. But Brady is willing to play that way if that's what it takes. And, I mean, I think that that takes a whole lot of commitment and self-discipline. You know, I also think, though, there's an element of, of money that plays into this. Quarterbacks are making so much now, and the young guys who are on that big contract for the first time, you got to think they feel the need to justify the money, right? Like, they don't. You know, Deshaun Watson and Jared Goff and Russell Wilson and you know th- these guys—they're not getting paid to throw the four-yard out. They're getting paid to throw the forty-yard bomb. They're getting paid to lead you down the field. And I think they think that way. Hey, we're paying this guy $38 million a year. He's going to throw it down the field. And I really, I mean, think if the Red Sox pay, you know, pay a hitter 10 years, $300 million, are you paying that guy to hit singles? Or are you paying him to hit triples? Not who pays anyone for triples. You're paying him to hit doubles and homers. Triples. That was stupid of me to say. You're paying the guy to hit doubles and homers and hit the middle of the order and bring people in. You're not paying a guy to hit singles. Brady's willing to hit singles in a way that most quarterbacks just aren't. And it truly is pretty amazing. They're not interested. Quarterbacks want that special. We're all searching for special. And they want to be there, too. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Um... I got a meaty topic I want to get to guys here. So why don't we take a break? We'll come back and uh, we'll get into who's saying what. Aaron Rodgers' former teammate says that Aaron, not Brady, is the greatest of all time. I'll tell you why I'm not offended by that comment. That's coming up next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of texts coming in to put a bow on our last segment. Steve from Faceton reminds me, he says, Brady, yeah, the the stuff about Tom Brady um, sounds just like the opener of your Doug Flutie segment when you guys did Daily Dose of Doug, where Flutie says, spread him out five yards at a time and just march down the field. That is exactly how Flutie liked to play. Like, Flutie Flutie hates running the football. 
he just he wants to pass on every down and get the ball down the field. And he also was willing to just take what the defense had. Now, part of that I think is because you know Flutie wasn't a guy who had a giant arm. He wasn't going to beat you by throwing it 50 yards down the field. He was a guy who said, this is what I need to do to be successful, and Brady is willing to do that too. One note, I, I do that was a good reminder from Stephen Faison. Um, it won't affect this show, but Flutie and I are not going to be doing our Bleeding Patriots podcast together anymore. And it's, Flutie and I are good. We were texting each other earlier. Flutie got an opportunity at uh, Sirius XM, and he's going to be hosting his own show, not about the Patriots, but he's going to be hosting his own show. So I could not be more thrilled for him. So I will still be doing the Believe in Patriots podcast. Like, if you care about my thoughts on just the Pats, the podcast will exist. We'll do some stuff with guests, and um, Aaron, our producer, will be around with us also. So, And we'll have another co-host at some point here in the near future, so don't worry about that. But we're not doing a daily dose of Doug on this show, one, because the Patriots aren't playing, and two, because uh, I kind of knew this was going to happen a little while ago. So Flutie's awesome, though. Um, we will get him on this show. When, when, when applicable, he will come on this show. He said, hey, Always down to come on your radio show, so uh, really looking forward to that. So no more Flutie with me on the podcast, but uh, you know he and I still talk, and he'll be a part of this show some way moving forward. So maybe next year we get him as a weekly insider here on the radio, and that would be even better for everybody. So, all right, let's get to who's saying what. We do it every single day, guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. All right, who's saying what comes from James Jones, former Packers wide receiver, who was asked on ESPN this morning, what would it mean if Aaron Rodgers could win another Super Bowl? It's just icing on the cake. I mean, not just because I played with Aaron Rodgers, but I really believe that he's the best to ever do it. And it's not even just how he throws the football. It's just all the little things, man. You see the free plays. You see how smart he is catching people with 12 men on the field. you got to account for every little thing when you play Aaron Rodgers. And if he gets another Super Bowl, it's just an icing on the cake. I mean, we already know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but another Super Bowl in everybody else's eyes, he's probably going to be considered the greatest to ever do it. Okay, I want to focus on the back half of that statement. If Aaron Rodgers gets a second Super Bowl in other people's eyes, he's probably going to be considered the greatest to ever do it. How do you feel about that comment? 802-585-3026 on the text line. First, the comment doesn't offend me. So basically he's saying if Aaron Rodgers wins the second one, everyone will view him better than Tom Brady. The comment doesn't offend me because the guy played with Rodgers. He didn't play with Brady. He only has the reality that he has, and that reality is with Aaron Rodgers. I'm happy he thinks Aaron's the greatest of all time because that's who he knows. And frankly, if he was talking bad about Aaron Rodgers, we'd, we'd probably look at that comment even more sideways considering they were teammates. You guys will learn this about me. Those who have listened to me for a while will know this. I have a real issue with who's better arguments. I don't do MJ versus LeBron. I, I refuse to do that segment. I have a real a real problem with those kind of discussions because there is a clear difference to me between who is the best at something and who is the most accomplished at something. Brady is clearly 
the most accomplished quarterback of all times. But that accomplishment, right, it's based on a ton of factors. Another reason why I don't like this talk is because there's so many other factors that go into how successful someone is in a team sport. This isn't golf. Okay, this isn't tennis. This isn't NASCAR. This is a team sport. Brady's greatness, Belichick's greatness, organizational stability, the division that Brady played in, the incompetence of the other teams in that division, great defense. A lot of what Brady has done is attributed to all of those things. And Rodgers has had some advantages, too, and some disadvantages also that he's capitalized on or been hurt by. I'll say this. I think fans have always thought that Brady was worse than Aaron Rodgers. I think fans look at Brady and they look at Rodgers and they think that Rodgers is better. And you know what? I'm in that group. Aaron Rodgers scares me more than Tom Brady. Again, Brady the most accomplished. Brady phenomenal. Deadly in overtime and final two minutes of games. But we as fans look at Aaron Rodgers, and I think a lot of them think that Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady as a pure football player. Not in terms of accomplishment, but in terms of a pure football player, I think a lot of people, including me, think that Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. If you told me my team was playing Brady or playing Rodgers, I'd rather have him play Brady. We see more flash. We see more special. We see more big play with Rodgers. Okay? With Brady at quarterback, you feel like you can beat him because there's a plan. There's a recipe. If we just knock him down and get to him, we can beat him. I go into a game, I don't know how my team beats Aaron Rodgers. Even if you get to him, I don't feel like you're ever going to really get to him because he's elusive. He can run. He's always been able to do that. Rodgers feels more dangerous than Brady does. His arm talent is superior. The ball just comes out better for Aaron Rodgers. He's more smooth. Brady feels kind of robotic when he throws. He feels very intense and robotic. Aaron is loose, carefree, and that just scares fans more. We see that stuff. We see those qualities, and that matters to us. I think what makes Brady so good is a lot of stuff fans never see or don't understand, myself included. We don't know how many times Brady decodes the defense and audibles out officially. We don't know how many hours Brady spent studying. And, yeah, his study habits are legendary. We don't see that like we see Rodgers' attributes. Brady's invested how much money in his body. An unbelievable commitment. He and LeBron are kind of the first to really invest in their body. Russell Wilson also. I mean, we don't see that. We see Aaron's ability to flick his wrist and throw it 40 yards down the field. So Brady, a lot of what makes him great is discipline. And that isn't sexy to us. What's sexy to us is Brady to, or uh, Rogers to Randall Cobb, Rogers to Jordy Nelson, Rogers to, you know, Devontae Adams, 65 yards down the field. I mean, the film, the eye test, tells me that Rodgers throws it more naturally. Brady is more accomplished. I I am in that group. I think that Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback, is a better player than Tom Brady is. I would not call Aaron the GOAT because I think that the GOAT is based on accomplishment. And another reason why I just don't get into that. But I think Aaron Rodgers is a better football player than Tom Brady is. Brady is a pioneer in a lot of ways. I just don't think he's as good as Aaron Rodgers. How do you feel about that? 802-585-3026. Get one in from uh, Patrick up in 
Uh, Highgate. It says, Brady, I'm listening on the stream. Couldn't agree with you more. I am a Bears fan. I have seen Aaron Rodgers torch us for a decade, and I am tired of it. I don't know any way that, that you can stop that guy. Get one in from Neil in uh, South Royalton who says, Brady, you are crazy. So, see, we get it from all angles here. Brady, you are crazy. Brady, Tom Brady, is better than Aaron Rodgers' look at the championships. And, again, it's why I don't do this. Is it better player? Or is it accomplishment? It's like the MVP. Is the MVP the best player or the truly most valuable player? Think about it. Because if it's the best player, we're looking at a stat-based award. If it's the most valuable, you're talking about, well, if I took this guy off of a team, how good or bad would they be still? I mean, so there's just two, those are waters I don't like to wade into. Um, all right, I want to get here. Let's get to Josh McDaniels and... I have a great, crazy Twitter take, so I'm trying to think if we're going to have time to get to. I really, really want to, so I hope that we can. But uh, Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, is up for the Eagles job. He interviewed yesterday. It was like a nine-hour-plus interview, so he's a serious candidate. He is viewed as a serious candidate. It surprised me to see McDaniels get him get into the game so late. The Eagles didn't contact him right away. They did get to him eventually, but he had no offer. As of Friday, he had no interview scheduled. I mean, we're, we got teams making hires here, and McDaniels doesn't have interviews. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it's at this point with McDaniels where he is viewed as a serious candidate. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network on the conditions that may come with McDaniels getting hired. The Eagles brass has told coaching candidates that they not only are open to bringing Carson Wentz back, but want to bring Carson Wentz back. They think he is fixable. They think he is salvageable. It's not like they've chosen him over Jalen Hurts. They like Jalen Hurts, too. But their priority with a new coach is to make sure Carson Wentz is as good as he was before. Well, okay. So um, so if McDaniels gets the job, it's coming with conditions that he's got to keep Carson Wentz, it sounds like. if I'm the, I've, I've told you this. If I'm the Eagles, I would not hire Josh McDaniels as a head coach. It's not even about football. It's about leadership. Okay, I just don't think that Josh McDaniels has it. There's no wow. There's no special for me in the room there. Carson Wentz is broken right now. His confidence is shattered. I don't think that Josh McDaniels is the warm, cuddly personality that Carson Wentz likely needs at this point in time. And... I don't think there, – there are things that came out in the Philadelphia Inquirer that you know we can get into more later about Carson Wentz. There's some things there not to like. But I don't think – one of the best pieces of advice I ever got or one of the best things I ever heard from a coach was, Brady, some guys need a kick in the butt, some guys need a pat on the butt, and it's okay to be both of those – you know, to be one – you know, it doesn't matter which one of those you are, but a good coach has to recognize who needs what. I don't think it makes Carson Wentz soft to need – Right now, the cuddly, coddled personality. I just don't think McDaniels is that guy. I don't see McDaniels having any personality. I hope that I'm wrong. But even when I talked about it with Flutie, he's like, yeah, that's a fair question. McDaniels knows football. He, he, he has learned more offense today than I will ever have known in my entire life, I'm sure. So it's not about can, can he figure out when to dial up the slant. It's about can he fix Carson Wentz, because Fixing Carson Wentz is apparently a prerequisite for that job. And I don't know that McDaniels has the personality to do it. And can he also nurture Jalen Hurts along, who has gotten a whiff of playing and I'm sure is not going to take going back to the bench all that kindly. Can McDaniels nurture both of them 
who probably need to be handled differently, and can he call plays, and can he hire the right staff, and can he grab the locker room? I, I No, I don't trust the McDaniels. The Eagles are a huge mess. They need a strong leader. I just don't see McDaniels as that guy. Mookie says, I like Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. I think he could be there to fix Carson Wentz. To be honest with you, I don't even know that I like that. I feel like Carson Wentz needs a quarterback. Now, we just had one in Doug Peterson. I'm well aware of that. But I feel like Carson Wentz needs a former quarterback who can handhold, you know, can hold his hand and say, I have been through this just like you have. Eric Bieniemy is a running back and a special teams player. It doesn't mean he's not great. But if the prerequisite for the job is fixing the quarterback, I think I want a quarterback. And so I know I wouldn't give it to Bieniemy. I wouldn't give it to Brian Dable. I think I need a quarterback. And I got to figure out who's out there because I'm not, you know, Mike Kafka's interviewing for that job. He's the Chiefs. Uh, kind of, you know, quarterback coach. He's up for some things. I don't know that I'd give him that jump, but find me a quarterback who wants to move up to coaching ranks because that's where I would start to contact first. And I don't know the Eagles' full list right now. Um, they've, they're speaking with Bienemy and they've spoken with McDaniels and they've spoken with some others. I think Todd Bowles is in on that job who, you know, is a defensive guy also. So, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't do it though if I were the Eagles. As for the Patriots, um, do we think this would be a big loss? Do you think this would be a big loss if Josh McDaniels left the New England Patriots? For me, it simply really depends on who the quarterback is. If, 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 if Cam Newton is back, he should want McDaniels there because of the system familiarity, right? Like, But ultimately, I don't need McDaniels back. I've never seen him as the team's future head coach. So I don't need him waiting around for that. And my plan is to draft a quarterback anyways. So I'd like to draft a quarterback, get him into a system that he has a chance to grow in. If McDaniel stays and then leaves in a year, well, my drafted quarterback now has two systems in two years, and that doesn't go didn't go well for Sam Darnold, didn't go well for Baker Mayfield. When you make these young guys learn everything, and then you turn it over on them, only bad things happen. So if my quarterback's going to get drafted like I want him to, then I am going to probably be perfectly okay with McDaniels leaving. I I don't see see again. I don't see the Patriots as a true contender next year. I don't think that they need to tear everything down to the studs, but I have a different expectation. If the Patriots aren't going to win the Super Bowl next year, and I don't even think they're going to get to the playoffs next year again, then I am okay with getting some new voices in and some new perspective to take the next Patriots team into greatness. If you're looking for the Pats to go 11-5 and next year, then you want everybody to stay and all the opt-out guys to come back, and you hope that that brings the team, you know, the, the continuity breeds success. I'm just not there with this team. I'm just not there with this team. Um, all right, Graham and Waterbury messages in and says, hey, Roger's a great player, a great sportsman, happy to have him on my team. Go Pack Go. Graham, congrats on your win this weekend. My great crazy Twitter takes is going to have to wait until tomorrow. It's from Kurt Warner, former Super Bowl winning quarterback. We're going to get to him tomorrow, I promise. When we come back, we'll look at my locks and get from the weekend and get my closing thoughts involving Kyrie Irving. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV.
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show. Full show podcast will be available after the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. All thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Phil in Berlin says about Josh McDaniels, Brady, he's great with X's and O's. Not sure he's a head coach material. It didn't work out the first time in Denver. Not sure he's got the guts to leave a group of 60 men. Stay on the sidelines with your iPad, Josh. I, You know what? That's a, that's a meaner way of saying what I've been saying. I just don't see him commanding the room. Really, that's it. I, Josh McDaniels knows football. He clearly can connect with Tom Brady. I think that's a special relationship. I don't see him. And look, when you're a head coach... Carson Wentz is going to need a whole lot of time and a whole lot of attention. When you're a head coach, you got a lot of things to worry about. McDaniels, I, I just don't see him building that relationship with Wentz and being able to do all of the other things that he would need to do. The Eagles are in salary cap problems. They've got some age at I mean, wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, you know, that's got to be probably the oldest one too in the entire league. They've had constant injuries the last couple of years. So, I, you know, there's got to be something they're done on probably the strength and conditioning side of things. Um, the Eagles are – the Texans' job right now might be worse because of Deshaun Watson's situation, which we're going to get into a lot tomorrow. But the Eagles' job right now is not all that appealing. Um, all right, hey, we do it every single – uh, Monday here we look at my locks and we figure out how I did over the weekend. Every Friday, Brady gives you his locks for the weekend. Is he moving to the high rent district or is he headed to the outhouse? We look at the locks now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, my, my locks for the weekend. I went one and two. I, I was right. Brady did breed, uh, Brady did beat Drew Brees. Andrew Benatendi did not get traded. For the Red Sox, which was surprising after all the smoke we heard last week. Usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Now I saw a report from the Boston Globe that Benatendi might actually stick around. So we go to spring training less than a month. Maybe Benatendi will be there. I'm not quite sure. Obviously at this point, we'll continue to monitor that. And Kyrie Irving did not play. I thought he was going to have played over the weekend. They had a game on Saturday. Kyrie did not play. He's not playing tonight in a what should have been much anticipated game against the Milwaukee Bucks. He's hoping to play Wednesday against Cleveland which is shocking because Kyrie never plays against his old team, so that surprises me. Um, if you're Steve Nash and you're the head coach of the Nets, I I don't even know how you handle Kyrie Irving's return, whatever it is. I mean, I think you have to make Kyrie speak in front of the whole team and go from there. If his teammates accept him and his reasonings, then Nash can simply play Kyrie and not divide the team. Nash is a competitor, too. I can't imagine that Nash would have been okay with this if this were his teammate, but if the players accept Kyrie's reasoning, then Nash needs to play him right away and, you know, just move on from there. But if the the players aren't satisfied, then Nash needs to act, whether that is benching him or not starting him or simply sitting him for an entire game. I don't know. But Kyrie abandoned his teammates, forced the organization into action when it came to getting hardened. I'd understand if some players on the team were resentful of him and were resentful of the situation you know that he has brought for the team. I I would absolutely understand that. Kyrie abandoned his team at a time when they're trying to win a championship, at a time when they're all there playing through the coronavirus pandemic as the league, you know, people want to shut down, they're there. Kyrie wasn't. And he broke COVID protocols and he kind of flouted it in front of them. So Nash needs to have him speak to the whole team. 
It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, full show podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and, again, on the website. John Wilson's uh, Dinner Jazz is coming up next. You've been listening to Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Have a good night, everybody.